century, and we're going to continue looking at the threefold curse that God has given due to the disobedient act of Adam and Eve and the deception from the serpent. So we're in Genesis chapter 3, and we're going back up and read verse 12 and read the full thing again. Uh, that way we understand. Actually, let's go up to verse 10 so we can get the full context again. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldn't eat up? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. The Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all the cattle, and above every beast of the field. And upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow with thy and thy conception. And sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and your desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hath eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it were you taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you so much again for allowing us to be here, Lord, in your presence, Lord. I pray that you guide us this, this evening, Lord, in, in your word, so that we can see and understand the origin of sin, Lord, so that we can better praise you for being the Savior from that sin, Lord. The one who was here, who is here, who will always be here to take away the sin of this world, Lord. I pray that you got us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So Genesis chapter 3. Now this is the second part of this because we started with the serpent and the woman last Sunday night. And we looked a little bit at it, and we'll just go over it real quickly. There was a three, three-part or threefold curse that God uh, laid upon one, the serpent, two, the woman, and three, the man. So the serpent, who was represented uh, uh, Satan, uh, represented Satan. Then you had the woman, who later on would be named Eve, and then you have the man, whose name is Adam. And we have looked at that. We sit there and seen in earlier in chapter 3 that as in she was walking through the middle of the garden, there was a serpent who asked her, did God really say what he said? Did he really tell you not to eat of that tree? And she said, he told me that even if I touch it, I would surely die. And the serpent told, him, told her, no, you're wrong. Because the Lord knows, God knows that you'll become as one of them if you eat of it. So she sat there and she saw that the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was good for was good, pleasant to the eyes, good for food, and it was right to make one wise. So she partook of it. And then she gave it unto Adam also. The minute Adam partook of it, not Eve, but the minute Adam partook of it, all of a sudden they realized that they were naked and they were ashamed of it. And so they decided to try to by themselves, cover themselves, cover their shame by making an apron of fig leaves. 
And then they heard the voice of God walking in the midst of the garden. They hid. They were ashamed. They did not want to be in the presence of the Lord because of their shame. All of a sudden, the relationship between God and the very man that he created, the very man he breathed life into, there was a gap in that relationship. And so the Lord told them, there's going to be a curse on the serpent. There's going to be a curse on the woman. There's going to be a curse on the man. Each part of this curse would have a spiritual and physical part. And we talked about that a little bit last Sunday night. When it comes to the serpent, the serpent would be cursed above all of cattle, above all the beasts of the field, and upon its belly it should go, and dust shall eat of it all the days of its life. Even into the millennial reign, it would still be remembered and still be cursed into the millennial reign. You can read about that in the book of Revelation. And in the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, all of the animals will sit there and no longer eat meat. The wolves and the sheep, they'll lay down together. The lions will eat hay. But the serpent will still continuously go forth upon its belly in the dust. So continuously, even in the millennial age, the millennial reign of Christ, when you look at a serpent, you'll still be reminded of the very fact that it was a serpent who deceived Eve. So that was the physical aspect to the serpent. Then we had the spiritual aspect. The spiritual aspect is the serpent symbolized Satan. Satan used the serpent to deceive Eve. Okay, And the serpent, the Lord sitting there through the serpent, cursed Satan and said, there's going to be enmity between you and the woman. Then there's going to be enmity between the woman's seed and the serpent's seed. The serpent will bruise the heel of the woman's seed, but the woman's seed will bruise the head. He, actually, it says, he shall bruise the head of the seed of the serpent. So all of a sudden it goes from being a wide view of the woman, which is representation of not only Eve and not only, uh, 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 in general, the seeds of of women, but also of Israel. And then all of a sudden it brings it down and it says he. It brings that seed to a singular person. It says he shall bruise the head of Satan. He shall bruise the head. He shall defeat Satan. And we sit there and we talk about that. That's, that's the, the salvation mentioned in Genesis chapter 3, that there will be an end of that enmity, that Satan will be defeated. And we know he was defeated by what? The cross. Exactly right. So we talked about that last Sunday night. Then we talked a little bit about the woman, the woman who had a physical and a spiritual aspect to her curse in verse 16. It says, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and your desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And we really talked about the fact that through childbirth, the pain is a reminder of how sin entered into this world. How sorrow entered into this world. How pain entered into this world. Through the conception, through the birth, through the labor, it was a memory of what happened there in the garden. In fact, later on, the Lord will end up using labor pains to refer to the coming age, to the coming day of the Lord, the coming tribulation. He would actually end up using labor pains as an analogy. Then we talked about the fact that her desire shall be to thy husband. And if you looked in chapter 4, Cain, the sin would desire Cain just as the woman desires man, just as Eve, would, uh, the wife, would desire her husband. In other words, it will desire to master or rule over. God gave a designated role. God designed man to be the head of the household, and God designed woman to be the helpmate to the man. 
God designed the woman to sit there and raise the children up in a biblical way while the man provides and guides the whole family. Marriage would end up, oh, as we understand it according to the scripture, being a picture of salvation, being a picture of Christ and the church, being the, the groom, the bridegroom, which is Christ, and his bride, which is the church. And so with woman's role being completely and utterly changed, the man's role being changed also, as Adam was not leading Eve, when they partook of the apple, orange, I keep wanting to say apple, the fruit, but rather Eve was leading the man when she handed it to Adam and Adam decided to follow her lead instead of God's lead. And so finally we get to Adam tonight, verse 17 through 19. It says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all of the days of thy life. Thorns and also thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat the bread until you return unto the ground. So there's the physical aspect of this curse. There's the physical aspect. You no longer are going to have it easy. The woman with childbirth is going to experience pain as a memory. Well, as the man being the leader of the home, you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow to sit there and be the man of the household that you're meant to be. You're going to have to work to be that man. You're going to have to work to be that leader. You're going to have to work to be that provider. All of a sudden, it's become a lot harder because of the curse. So as men, when we go out there and we struggle to sit there and provide for our families, struggle to lead our families biblically in the world full of deception, in a world full of evil, a world full of darkness, that should be a constant reminder of the darkness entering into this world in Genesis chapter Amen. 3. But it doesn't just stop there, and this is where I really want to look at this evening. Verse 19, it says, In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and dust shalt thou return. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them, and he said, they are what? Good. When he created creation, he said, it is good. It was not designed to die. It was not designed to come and live for 80, 90, 100 years and then die. For death was not part of the creation when he created it in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. God knew that it was going to come about because God is omniscient. He knows all. But that wasn't the original design. He didn't originally design it to be that he was going to give life unto something he thought was so precious that he would sit there and breathe his life into it to bring it to life. That he would mold it out of the ground. But when it turned its back against God, when we turned our backs against God, when Adam turned his back against God and followed Eve instead, it introduced death into the creation. And all of a sudden, everything changed. In fact, later on in Genesis chapter 5, you find out that Adam lived an exceptionally long life, but that life came to an end. He lived 930 years. Could you imagine if we lived 930 years old today? That's a long time to live, right? That's a lot of stuff to experience. A lot of evil to experience, ain't it? 
You imagine sitting there speaking to your ancestor who lived 900 years ago? That's how it was there in the book of Genesis. Here comes Adam, 925 years old, speaking to his brand new great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson, who's five. Let me tell you a little bit about the Garden of Eden and what you, what myself and your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandma did. How we sit there and we turn our backs against our Lord. How he was merciful to us and didn't strike us dead right then and there. Even though he told us that if we were, partake, we were to take it and we were to eat of it, we would die. He was merciful and allowed us to sit there and be saved by him also. He was merciful by not allowing us to take of the fruit of the tree of life. Could you imagine if we not only lived in the world of evil, but lived in the world of evil forever? Because that's what would have happened if Adam and Eve would have then taken the tree, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. All of a sudden they would live everlasting life without the need for Jesus, without the need for salvation if they would have took of that tree of life. And you and I would be in a constant forever state of evilness and torment. We would be surrounded by the darkness. A lot of people think that when God sat there and took Adam and Eve and took them out of the garden and put cherubims there, we're going to look at that here in a little while, but cherubims blocking the way back in the Garden of Eden, that it was an ungrateful, an unmerciful act, but it really wasn't. None of us wants to live in sin forever, do we? That's why we cling to Christ, because He is our hope that we'll never, one day we'll never have to worry about sin again. Right? That was a merciful act. We sinned and disobeyed God. And then he took us away from further, further punishment by putting us outside that garden. Now, I said we plenty of times. That's because it wasn't just Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve started it. But you and I, we've inherited it. We were born into sin, each and every single one. We need salvation just as much as Adam and Eve needed it. We we do the same thing. Before Christ, we did the same thing. We sit there and we tried to do our own works to cover up our shame and sinfulness, just like Adam and Eve did. But thanks be to God, just like God did in Adam and Eve and took a sacrifice and covered the sins of Adam and Eve with that sacrifice. Jesus, who was the ultimate sacrifice, through him would cover our sins. Amen. So through Adam, we become sinners. But through Jesus, we become saved. Amen. 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 David sits there and tells us, he's begging God for forgiveness, to have mercy on him after he did, did what he did to Uriah and Bathsheba. In Psalm 51, verse 3, he says, I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speak and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I was born as a sinner, the Lord. Lord, I was born a sinner. Why? Because through Adam... 
the whole human race would then be sinners. We would need Jesus Christ to come forth and save us. Now I love Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's got to be my favorite chapter in 1 Corinthians. I love 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 21 it says, actually verse 20 it says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. So by man, that's singular, by man, that's speaking of Adam, death came into this world. And it rocked the whole creation. It affected the whole creation. Read Romans chapter 8. All of creation groans because of the sin that's in this world. All of creation is affected by it. I was sitting there thinking while I was studying this. I love to hunt. I love to fish. I love to eat deer. I love to eat fish. You know, that's just one thing that I love to do. I can't imagine the day where I won't eat the deer. But that day will come where we won't eat that because that's death. And there will be no more death. Will there? Not according to 1 Corinthians 15. According to 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus has victory over death. Amen. There will be no death. There will be no sin. He goes on, he says this, for, for since by man came death, by man also come the resurrection of the dead. Paul is equating with what Adam did to then what Jesus does. Adam sinned and therefore brought death into this world. Jesus died for us and brought grace unto this world. Verse 22, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. It's amazing. By Adam, we get put into the grave. But by Jesus Christ, He takes us and He grabs us and He says, I'm bringing you back alive. Amen. Because He is the resurrection and the life, is He not? That's what he tells Mary and Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. That's who he is. And only by him shall we have resurrection. That's what Paul is trying to say in 1 Corinthians 15. That without the resurrection of Christ we have no hope. But because Jesus Christ rose from the grave, you and I also have resurrection. That's why I read verse 20. Now is Christ risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of them who have slept. In other words... He is the risen Savior. He is the first that has the resurrection. And He is the first fruits of more to come who will also be raised from the dead. Amen. You and I are spiritually already have a resurrection if you're a believer tonight. Your old body has been put down and you're a new person in Christ, are you not? That's the reason why we get up here in this baptistry, or as Lily calls it, the big tub. That's the reason why we get up here to show everyone else in this church that as we go down... We're dying to sin. We're dying to our old selves. We're dead. And then when we rise up, we're alive again. We're alive because of Christ. And He gives us that life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It says, But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ at His coming. Christ was the firstfruits. And who belongs to Christ will then also be raised from the dead. Those who belong to Christ are raised from the dead. We have new life now, but one day we'll have a glorified bodies. We don't have to worry about that grave, do we? Katie and I were on the church tonight, and we, we listened to some, uh, some David Crowder, some of his older songs. Some of y'all know who David Crowder is. Um, 
there was a song on the radio, and me and Katie were a little stunned by it. It says, uh, the grave robber done came and stole me. And I looked at it, and I'm like, Katie, that don't sound right. The grave robber came and stole me. The grave robber came and stole me. He kept saying that over and over. I'm like, Jesus didn't steal us. He defeated the, de the grave. He defeated death, and he paid for us. He's not a thief. He paid for us, and we belong to him. He's not a grave robber. He's the victor over the grave is what Jesus is. That's what Jesus is. He's no grave robber. He's the one who sits there and reaches down. And he says, you are dead in your trespasses and sins, but through the mercy of God, I'm going to quicken you up together alongside me. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 says. That's what he does. In Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, it says this in verse 10. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we now have received the atonement. The atonement only came by his blood. Amen. By Jesus we have that atonement. But then what he does, Paul brings back Adam. Verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by that sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have fallen short. We have missed the mark. If you ever sit there and if you if you ever go shoot a shoot a rifle or whatever, and, and I do it all the time during the year, and especially in the fall getting ready for deer season, I have to take my gun and I have to shoot it and make sure my scope is on sight. Because if I miss the mark, I'll miss the deer. We missed the mark. We didn't hit the mark. We've fallen short. And only God can sit there and put us back on the mark. He's the only one who can sit there and pick us up after we've fallen down. What was that song that we sit there and liked? And Lily sit there and sung it up here to court. We can't even walk without you holding my hand. Down on my knees, I learned to stand, but I can't even walk without you holding my hand. We've fallen down. We have missed a mark, and we're not going to get back up without him grabbing us and bringing us, picking us up. Sits there and it says, For until the law uh, until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned over the solitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, that's being Adam, Adam did an offense, he sinned against God, through the offense of one, many are dead, much more the grace of God. If you really think that death and sin had that much power to affect everyone after Adam, you just think of how much more power grace has. Because grace is even more aboundful. It abounds grace upon grace because of Jesus Christ. That's what he says. He says, If by offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Yeah, that had a big effect when Adam did that in the garden. But Jesus is more powerful than that. Amen. He sat there and he died once for many. Once for many. I was talking to Michelle after service this morning. When it comes to salvation, it's not a blanket salvation. No. 
It's not. It's a personal salvation. Amen. Each one of us must believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. For if you believe upon Him, you shall not perish but have everlasting life. It is not a blanket statement that everyone is saved in the entire world because of Jesus Christ. No, each and every single one of us, Jesus wants that relationship with. He wants to sit there and it says in the Scriptures that His will is for us to be saved. It is you and I who decide to follow sin rather than God. Did you know that? You're sitting there and you're either a slave unto sin or you're a slave to righteousness. That's what it says in Romans chapter 8. Yep. If you're a slave to sin, then the, the pathway sin leads unto death. But if you're a slave to righteousness, then the pathway leads to peace and life. Not by your works, not by my works, but through Jesus Christ and Him alone. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. No one shall come unto the Father except by me. There is no other name underneath heaven that you shall be saved except by the name of Jesus Christ. God is just and faithful to forgive for he who shall confess with his heart. He shall be saved. Amen? Amen? That's right. Jesus is so much more powerful than what happened in the garden. So much more powerful. That when he came, through Moses came the law, according to John chapter 1. We're bringing back into what we're learning on Sunday mornings. John chapter 1, it said, through Moses came the law, but through Jesus it came grace upon grace. We don't deserve that gift. That's what grace is. God gave us something you and I didn't deserve. You and I won't sit there and earn it. No, we can't. Did you know that Catholics believe that the scripture we talked about this morning proved that we can go to Mary to get to Jesus, yeah. to get to God? That's what they believe. That you can merit grace from Jesus if you go through Mary. That's not what the scripture says. You can't merit grace. You can't earn grace. You can't earn salvation. It is by the blood of Christ and Him alone, plus nothing, equals salvation. Jesus alone. Was that song, In Christ Alone I Stand? All other ground is what? Sinking sand. Exactly right. That's why we have to build the house, our house, our temple upon the rock. Because everything else, when the storm comes, it'll blow it down. But if your house is built upon the solid rock, who is Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what storm comes through, your house is not going to fall. Amen. Because He is the one with the power to save. He's the one that power. Not as one Man had sinned, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. That free gift of Jesus Christ, through him you and I are justified. Thank you, Jesus. Our works are as filthy rags. They won't get us nowhere. Will they? Nope. You think when those servants sit there and fill those pots with water, you think that's what made the water into wine? Who made that water into wine? Jesus. It wasn't their works. It was the power of God. It wasn't their will. It was God's will that it be done. It was by the power of God, by the power of Jesus Christ, that you and I would have salvation. 
I love Isaiah 53. If you want to, turn with me there. Isaiah 53 is believed to be the first gospel. We're reading John, which is the fourth gospel. But Isaiah 53 is said to be the first gospel. The very first gospel. In Isaiah 53, listen to what it says in Isaiah 53. Verse 4. Actually, let's just verse 1. Let's read the whole chapter. Verse 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground, he hath no form of comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, of man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid it as if our faces are from him. He is despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. They thought that Jesus Christ was cursed by God. But that wasn't so. Verse 5, But he was wounded, not because he was afflicted by God, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become righteous. He didn't have no sin. Jesus did not sin. Verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he did not open his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He died for the iniquities of God's people. He died for our iniquities. Amen. That's how we ended up becoming the people of God. Because through Jesus Christ we were adopted into the family. Amen. It says verse 9, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich. He died upon the cross with the wicked, and he was buried in the rich man's grave. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Verse 10, listen to this. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It satisfied the debt. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Jesus died and yet he lived. So therefore he will see the outcome of his death. He will see what came of his death and of his resurrection, which is his seed. You and I are his seed. We are saved in him. Are we not? Are we not? He will see what his death, and because he lives. He's not dead. Tom sitting there and saying, because he lives. Because he lives. Amen. Amen? He lives. He sees those who are saved in him. Verse 11. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Now listen to this. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many because he shall bear their iniquities. Man. Jesus Christ shall justify many because he bore our iniquities. What's amazing is that Isaiah 53 was written over 400 years before Jesus Christ. And yet it speaks of the recognition in the future of who Jesus is and what he did upon that cross. That's what is amazing about Isaiah 53. It speaks of the time 
that Israel will come to the knowledge that Jesus Christ really did die to justify many. We have a blessing today. We can see Jesus Christ right now in the Scriptures. We can sit there and see that He truly did die upon the cross to justify you, to justify me, to justify many more. Amen. And in the book of Hebrews it said He died once. He died once for all. Thank you. He didn't have to come back again to die again every single year like they do with Passover. No, His death... His death was good enough to just die once. You want to ever wonder how much Christ is worth? His life was worth every single one of ours. So when we sit there and we lift up our voices in worship, the word worship literally means giving unto what is worth. So you just sit there and you think, how much Jesus Christ is worth? Every ounce of your life, He is worth it. Because you and I would not even have an ounce of life without Him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for having the power to sit there and be stronger, more powerful, and have the authority to sit there and save us. Through Adam, sin came. But through Jesus Christ, grace came. We didn't deserve it. We did not deserve it. For God so loved the world. That's the reason why we that's the reason why He gave it to us. Because He loved us so much. Amen. He loved us so much that if we believe upon Him, we shall not perish. But have everlasting life in Him. We will live again. No longer dead in our trespasses and sins, but we will live again. Being guided by that shepherd. And as Pastor Dan always sit there and said, The Lord is my shepherd. And that's enough. That's enough. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come unto you as your faithful servants, as your children, to give thanks unto you for proclaiming your gospel all the way back in the book of Genesis. Thanking you that you loved us so much that you would die upon the cross for us to pay our sins, to purchase us, even though we turned our backs upon you. Born in iniquity, you became that iniquity so that we might become righteous. Being taken from death, given life because of you. Dying, giving your life so that we may have life. Thank you, Lord, for that grace through Jesus that we have received. And I pray that if anyone shall be here tonight or on Facebook or in this in this world, that you will enlighten them to that grace that you give us. That grace that is, is so magnificent that through that grace we may be saved, Lord. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.